This is Three Interesting Things. Hello and welcome to Three Interesting Things, a weekly podcast where we discuss the three most interesting things on the internet this week as determined by you. I'm your host, Don Grant. Joining me today in the co-host chair, the host of Real School, host of the Vocal Cues podcast, managing editor of Filmspeak.net, man about town, and generally all-around nice guy, Michael Wynn Johnson. Michael, welcome, my friend. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us in the pandemic. It's nice and comfy and cozy in our individual homes. It is, indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Are you ready to do this? Absolutely. Let's go. Thing one. Thing number one. How many states lie north of Canada? That's not a question you get asked <laughs> that you get asked very often. <laughs> the only time you, you might consider this question is uh, when the Raptors are in the playoffs and then the We the North chant becomes like something of contention. You mean the Louisville Raptors, as they're probably going to be? In the, in the <laughs> yeah, me, well, then we don't have to worry about the We the North thing. But yeah, I remember <laughs> there was some contention with uh, somebody. I think it was Minnesota or some state where they were like, we're actually more Northern. So it was the only time I actually thought about it. It's just one of those weird things that we have a perception of in our brain because of the map that we have grown up with, the Mercator projection map. So the, the listener is probably wondering, what does that mean? How many states are north of Canada? The easier way to put it is, How many American states have land area that lies north of Canada's southernmost point? And it's not a trick question. It's not like Canada owns a little bit of land off the coast of Hawaii. (laughs) Um, The southernmost point of Canada is Point Pelee in in the southern coast of the the south of Ontario. And when I asked you this question, because I I knew we were going to be chatting about this, I Mm -hmm. sent you this question last week and I said, okay, Michael, how many U.S. states lie north of Canada? Don't cheat and tell the listener what your answer was. Originally, I said two. Very confidently, I said two. And then almost even more confidently, I would say, I went, oh, wait, no, four. And that that legitimately was, yeah, no, it has to be four. That was my answer. And of course, the real answer is 27. There are 27 (laughs) U.S. states that lie at least partly north of the southernmost part of Canada, which when you tell people... Just they they can't really get that through their heads. By the way, that includes California. Right. Yeah. That's if you insane. if you look at the northern tip of California, it is actually on the map uh above the southern point of Canada. Now we're getting all this information from a really wonderful site called barelybad.com where this man, I, I don't, I looked all over his site for his name and I cannot find his name, unfortunately. So if you're listening, which you're not, um, <laughs> send it in. Let me, let me know who you are because the, this man has done a tremendous amount of work to figure out the latitude and longitude of each of these places to isolate. So it's not just sort of randomly all put together. The states are Alaska, California, Connecticut, Idaho, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Maine, Michigan, Minnesota, Montana, Nebraska, Nevada, New Hampshire, New York, North Dakota, Ohio, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Dakota, Utah, Vermont, Washington, Wisconsin, and Wyoming. Crazy. (laughs) Of which 13 lie entirely north of Canada's southernmost point. So your guess of two. <laughs> now, to be fair, when I first saw this, my guess, I think, was was seven or eight. And some people get the ones in the Upper East Coast, you know, all the little ones like, uh, you know, Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. They, they think about those because they know those go north. But a lot of people don't realize how far south Canada juts into the United States. Yeah, it's weird, especially when you look at the East Coast, because 
you know, there, there seems to be, I, I think you kind of addressed it when we grow up and we look at this map, when we look at North America, it's very straight. Like it seems like it just, the border runs completely parallel across the earth, you know, around the earth. And, right. but there's that tilt. It's that weird little tilt, which, which all of a sudden pops California a little further North. Right. And, and even those kind of Eastern most States, even when they tilt downward, if you want to say, you know, give it that perspective. Yeah. They're still pretty far North. So, I mean, it explains so much. I've got friends who live in Massachusetts and New York and it explains so much about the weather and everything. And also, if you think about it, it kind of explains what's going on with that northernmost tip of California and the mountains and they get snow and you know, all this kind of stuff. So it does make sense. But it's just one of those things where, you know, unless I looked at that map, I would never believe it. Well, it is interesting to see how much maps inform our perceptions of the world. Mm -hmm. We all grew up with the Mercator projection, which a lot of people know is inaccurate. And at the end of the day, the inaccuracy of mapping comes down to the question of how do you convey the surface of a sphere in a plane without some sort of distortion? And the answer is you can't. Um, those, there was a, mathema a mathematician named Carl Gauss who proved that in the, in the 1500s, that if you take a ball, if you took a globe and cut it open and tried to put it into a flat plane, you could not do it because ultimately you are going to be coming, you're going to be sacrificing area or you're going to be sacrificing shape. You know, and I, I'm just thinking as an art teacher, when I have, you know, shape versus form and you have like draw a shape that's flat, it's a lot easier than giving it form. But yeah, it's just... And I want to be clear that we're clarifying on this podcast that the earth is round. So that's Wait, something we should. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, <laughs> don't, don't start stirring up trouble. I don't want letters. I don't want letters from the listeners. We never we know. It's shaped like a trapezoid. Come right, on. Right. Tra <laughs> it's on a turtle's back or something <laughs> to that extent. Yep. Well, the Mercator was actually, when it was originally come up with, uh, you'll never guess the name of the guy who came up with the Mercator projection. Was, was his last name Mercator? Mercator, but it was very, very close. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's because I'm speaking lazily. Um, but when it, when it was originated and when he did it, it was for navigation and not for size. So that map was first designed to make navigation as easy as possible. That's why the Mercator projection is also still used for things like Google Maps, hmm. because Google Maps is used for navigation. If you make a left turn at Young Street, it's going to be a 90 degree left turn at Young Street. But when it comes to a larger scale, things go a little bit wonky. For example, um, if you look at the Mercator projection, if you look at the map, say, of, uh, of Africa as opposed to Greenland, Think about the map that you had in your school, in your high school when you were growing up. Right. Africa and Greenland look about roughly the same size. But in fact, Greenland size is significantly smaller than Africa's by a factor of about 14. Hmm. They talked about this in the West Wing. Here, hold on. Let's let, let's let the West Wing talk about it. The Mercator projection has fostered European imperialist attitudes for centuries and created an ethnic bias against the third world. Really? The German cartographer, Mercator, originally designed this map in 1569 as a navigational tool for European sailors. The map enlarges areas at the poles to create straight lines of constant bearing or geographic direction. So it makes it easier to cross an ocean. But yes. it distorts the relative size of nations and continents. Well, even, you know, even the map as it stands right now, people just have perceptions of seeing things that aren't actually true. For example, a majority of Africa is in the Northern Hemisphere. It's so weird. It's just one of those things until you had mentioned, you know, how we grew up and we've got those two 
uh, continents, you know, comparatively inside in the similar size anyways on the map. And then all of a sudden you're taking what should be on a globe and putting it on a flat map. That makes so much more sense while all of a sudden Greenland is stretched. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's mathematically impossible. You can't right. do it. You, you do have to make sacrifices. And so different people have come up with different ways of doing that map. But at the end of the day, if you asked any person whether Edmonton and Dublin were on the same uh, latitude, you, they would say no. Or right. Calgary and London or Vancouver and Paris or Chicago and Rome or New York and Madrid, they are all on the same latitudes. Or, for example... When you think about North America and South America, you generally think about one being on top of the other. But, of course, South America is significantly to the east of where you assume its location should be. The Mm -hmm. continent, basically, most of the continent lies east of Florida. Like, if you like east of Jacksonville, Florida, it's crazy. It's closer to Africa than it is to Houston, Texas. Right. <laughs> Speaking of which, that's one of the other things that came up is the idea of the electoral map, of course, in, in the recent election. Right. When we all look at the electoral map as it floods in, we look at it in these just very stark differences of red versus blue. But a lot of people are speculating that that should maybe be changed because of the fact that that really uh, reinforces the idea of that there is a a very significant divide. We know there's a significant divide. (laughs) But if, if you asked people, hey, Texas, Texas is a really red state. Well, Texas got 5.9 5.9 million votes for the Republicans, but mm-hmm. 5.2 million votes for Joe Biden. That's well within shooting distance. But if you look at the electoral map, Texas is red. Or mm-hmm. California, you know that California is going to go blue, but 4.2 million people voted for Donald Trump. Right. So there's a lot of people who are speculating that there should be other ways to come up with the electoral map instead of the typical red versus blue. So what would that be? Because, uh, you know, everybody's been talking about American politics, obviously, in the last few weeks. And and so that's the thing is, you know, I grew up for 30 plus years saying exactly what you were saying. You know, Texas is a red, is a red state. Alaska is a red state. And yet I visited Texas, you know, recently a few times in my life. Uh, the most recent time, only about two years ago, pre-pandemic. Uh, for South by Southwest. And here I was in beautiful Texas. And people are saying, no, it's more of a purple state. Like you'd be surprised. So there was a series of gift maps created by a man named Kareem Dweeb. Uh, he's the co-founder of Jetpack AI, which is a data science company. Uh, and it, it showed a whole bunch of different ways that election data could be used and displayed in map form, uh, including things like population density. Uh, and if you if you show a map by population density, it looks significantly more blue. But if you show a map rendered in traditional style county by county, it's just this massive sea of red. And right. we know that both of those things are true. And we know that both of those things go a long way towards reinforcing the idea that there are two Americas. And even though there are two Americas, there's a lot more purple than most people give it credit for. Right, right. Yeah, I think I saw that. <laughs> the best news source that there is on Twitter, where they basically condensed, you know, the, the popular vote down into geographical, you know, where people were populated. And that made a lot more sense and actually kind of give you a little more hope too at times. But but hey, That's everything's going to get better after January, right? <laughs> oh, guaranteed. It's like, <laughs> like flipping a switch. It's like, you know, when Zack Snyder took over for Joss Whedon on Justice League. Now, now everything's going to be solved. So, hey, hey, hey. Yeah. Are you leading me into thing number two? Uh-oh. No, not at all. Not at all. But that was a good segue. Thing two. Thing number two. And for thing number two, we always pitch to the guest host. 
Michael, what is thing number two? Well, I wanted to ask your listeners, and of course you, how much should we believe in curses? Now, I'm going to get a little more specific than that and say cinematic curses, because this is my forte. And the reason that I'm addressing it is because recently I got to interview Mr. George Newbern. Uh, he's been in Scandal, so some recent television. He has uh, obviously been in Adventures in Babysitting, you know, early on in his career. And then probably his most famous role is uh, in Father of the Bride, right. where he played, you know, the, the fiance. So George is also known for voicing Superman, and that's why I brought him on to the Vocal Cues podcast. And so <laughs> this is the funny part. I legitimately think I freaked him out when I asked him about the Superman curse. And all I had said was, how much weight do you give it? And legitimately, I don't think he had thought about it until I brought it up, which is shocking because I even prefaced the question with, I, I never know if I'm going to interview another Superman. <laughs> what, you know, like, what weight do you give this? And he legitimately, at the end of the interview, actually said, you know, like, don't bring up the Superman curse again. Like, he wasn't angry, but it was something like, eh, you know, I don't want to think about that. But wait, was, so, it, was it the first time he had ever heard of it? He had, you were bringing it up to him for the first time or he just refused to look at it? Because I, there's, a, there's a difference between those things. Very true. I think it was a little of both. And in fact, I think George was perhaps acting a little. He is a very talented actor. And I think <laughs> when he was trying to play it off, like, eh, I don't really think about it because he did say, you know, I've played other things than just Superman. And of course that's true. He's got a really great filmography. And, um, but the other thing was he kept asking, he's like, so why, why do they even call it a curse? And so that's kind of an interesting question because at this point, and I mean, with Supergirl, Henry Cavill, you know, we've had so many iterations of this character at this point. Really, it's only the misfortune of two out of a dozen, maybe more men who have portrayed this role. So it's one of these things where it's like, can we let this go? Or is there any weight to it? What do you, what do you think? Well, uh, anyone who knows me knows I'm, I'm not a huge, I'm, I'm a bit of a skeptic when it comes to anything like curses or that sort of a thing. I believe in proof. I believe in science. I believe in evidence. I, I have a, an ongoing argument with my daughters about the existence of ghosts. Uh, <laughs> and they always say to me, well, you have no proof that ghosts don't exist. And I say, <laughs> you have no proof, proof that you do. It's up to you, not up to me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so something like a curse, like for example, you know, Wizard of Oz, some people say, was a cursed film because right. of the fact that uh, Burt Lahr and, and a number of the other people uh, had terrible accidents. And Margaret Hamilton got almost life-threatening burns when she right. had the, the big explosion where she vanished from the very first scene. But that mm -hmm. wasn't cursed. That was just a bad workplace environment. <laughs> There's yeah, the it, difference. It was the 30s, right? Was, I mean, like the, no one gave a damn. You 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 look at old films. I love watching The Birds, and I've showed it to just clips to students of mine in the past um, to talk about sound in film, the use of sound. And the one specific clip that's great is when they're fighting off the birds from getting into the house, and they're using real birds. <laughs> so there are legitimate, you know, seagulls biting the fingers of these actors because these seagulls are freaking out. So you're absolutely right. I think that's true. And see, that's the other thing because I've been really getting into this series on Shudder called Cursed Films. Right. I was reading about that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really interesting because most of the people they have on the show who were a part of the productions, 99% of them say, no, it's not a curse. It was just bad luck. Right. You know what I mean? Like it was a series of unfortunate things that happened. 
you know, you look at, at Poltergeist and two of the young actresses, you know, from that show died or from that show, from that movie died yeah. in pretty horrific ways. So it's one of those things, you know, where it's, yeah, bad things happen and possibly in twos or threes, but it's just a coincidence. So I do want to apologize to George Huburn. I didn't mean to freak him out. <laughs> George, George, if you're listening. Yes. Uh, yeah. Michael says he's, he's absolutely sorry. No, the, I mean, the Superman curse, a lot of people know about the Superman curse, mm -hmm. that anyone involved in the role of Superman is potentially cursed. But as you say, and I think it's a good point, it largely comes down to two people, to George Reeves and Christopher Reeve. And yeah. even of those people, George Reeve, like, what was his curse really? He, like, we know that he potentially killed himself, mm -hmm. uh, but why? Because he played Superman? Well, yeah, that's it. I think the other thing, and correct me if I'm wrong, because this could be urban legend, was that he committed suicide in the suit. So, uh, that, that I don't know. That's an interesting okay, question. Okay, I, that was something I had heard. And that's, that's again, when George had asked, you know, like, what well, what happened? And I said, well, obviously, you know, the Christopher's horrible accidents. And then, and then I said, and, you know, the suicide of the original George. And that was another one where he goes, yeah, okay, but that's, you know, that's just like really just terrible things happening. It's not like a curse, right? And I was going to make the joke, but I didn't know if he was friends, uh, that, you know, the most horrible thing to happen to a Superman since has been the fact that Dean Cain became a Republican. That's you know a, what I mean? <laughs> I was thinking exactly the same thing. That's that's the worst thing that's happened. Yeah, Dean exactly. Cain became a Trumper. <laughs> um, do you believe? So so I mean, let me ask you because you're the film guy. You're the you're the host of Real School on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Do you believe in this? So I should, maybe I shouldn't say believe. I should say, do you put what, what percentage of weight do you put in these? For example, if you look at something like Poltergeist, mm -hmm. which many people believe to be easily the most cursed film, right? If you are someone who believes in that, which I am not, <laughs> you could have a lot of things that you would say. You could say that Dominique Dunn was murdered by her boyfriend. You could say that Will Sampson and Julian Beck died before the, the sequel came out. You can right. say that, that the kid, Heather O'Rourke, passed away when she was just 11 right. years old while working yeah. on Poltergeist 3. Like, There's a lot of things you can say that were accidents on the set. There's a lot of evidence for that. Mm -hmm. How much weight do you put into this kind of thing? You know, it's more of a morbid fascination of... Again, a mixture of urban legends and cinematic urban legends than it is an actual belief in curses. Because, you know, yeah, here I am. I'm in my 40s. You know, I, I've seen so many iterations of Superman. I've seen so many bad things happen, you know. And obviously now we've got great unions <laughs> to protect us from this kind of stuff, you know, actors and directors and writers. Um, until I really watched that show, I didn't really pull away from the belief. I, I, there was something about it where I go, yeah, this could happen. And it's just because of my attachment to film. I think right. that's, that's my magic. So, you know, with great magic and good magic has to come that evil magic sometimes that dark side. So, you know, there was something about it where I, you know, I kind of wanted to believe it. Then when I saw so many of these people, you know, speaking about the real horrors that had happened, I go, no, this is, these are just tragedies. These, you know, it's not an actual curse. It's just really, sad news that happened to be coincidental. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, it's also showing the, the birth of workplace safety, right? I mean, mm -hmm. like, like it, look at it from a perspective of, you know, cars in the 1940s, you know, what the seatbelts right. were made of like piano wire, right? And so, right. so, you know, it's, it's exactly the same thing. If you look at the twilight zone, you know, the, the, the horrible twilight zone accident where Vic Morrow right. and two kids were killed 
uh, in a horrible, horrible accident. The small, tiny, tiny, you know, I, I don't want to say upside, but the, the positive upshot of that was the force, the fact that now we have uh, the growth of risk management being on set for uh, films as they are made today. And that stuff didn't exist when that film was being made in the late 70s. You know, obviously love a lot of uh, early John Landis, and I had never thought about where he went after this film. And I didn't even know that he was a part of it. And then realizing he was part of a very long litigation, a huge litigation. Yeah. Yeah. Which reshaped Hollywood. Like you said, a lot of, a lot of different uh, safety concerns and things were brought up during that, but which he seemingly ignored. If you ask anybody who was a part of that set, I mean, you know, once again, just going back to the curse, it's just one of those things where I, I think sometimes we learn so much from it, right? Like we can't say there's a Joker curse because of what happened to Heath. That's a that's a tragedy, but right. we can learn about you know safety and mental health, and you know how far these actors are willing to take these roles and how much it means to them. And I think that's important too. So you know, if it's a, if it's that dark magic that I was talking about that brings these to light, I think it's still important. If you look at the films that most people talk about in terms of being cursed, Poltergeist, The Omen, The Exorcist, like, the you know, yeah, do you notice like a, something, a Twilight Zone, there's, you know, you, you don't hear about, you know, the Billy Madison curse. You don't, you don't <laughs> right. hear about the Weekend at Bernie's curse. These, these films <laughs> oh, lend man. themselves to that because of the fact that they are dealing with the paranormal, dealing with that kind of thing. And so it's a very sexy idea to talk mm. about the fact that they're cursed. Have you heard of, um, do you remember the film The Conqueror with John Wayne? No. Or oh, just, is that where he played Genghis Khan? Where he played Genghis Khan. Because yeah. really, <laughs> yes. when you think about Genghis Khan, the, I don't know about you, I, I immediately think of John Wayne. But <laughs> right. but that, that film was considered cursed because so many people who were working on it died. Well, they filmed the film in the Nevada desert in the 1950s. <laughs> there happened to be some other things going on in the Nevada mm -hmm. desert mm -hmm. in the 1950s that led to the fact that literally half of the cast and crew of that film got cancer and died. It's oh not God. because it was cursed. It's because they were filming at a nuclear test site. Right, right. There's a difference. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, yeah. So, you know, there's another uh, life lesson of, of things not to do. I mean, first of all, don't cast a Western actor, an iconic Western actor as Genghis Khan. Genghis but Khan. yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, location, location, location. Right? <laughs> Thing three. Thing number three. A woman is growing hair from her gums and doctors do not know why. I mean, where <laughs> where, where do you even start? Uh, it's funny. I, I said this to my wife and she was like, did you check that? Did you make sure this wasn't from some sort of conspiracy website or something? I'm like, no, <laughs> no, sweetie. I, 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 I did my research. This is, this is not the onion. This is actually, um, this is a woman in Italy um, who, uh, when she was 19 years old, she, she went in and she got tested and she got tested and, and was discovered that she had this, um, uh, this disease called uh, PCOS. Have you had you heard about this before? Not at all. So no. here's the funny thing. It's it's it stands for polycystic ovary syndrome, um, and it's a condition involving an imbalance of reproductive hormones. But this is actually relatively common. Apparently, one in ten women has this condition. Uh, right. It's an endocrine condition where you have a larger number of male hormones and testosterone and androgen. And consequently, it's very common for women who suffer from PCOS to have hirsutism, unwanted hair growth, uh, growth that follows a male pattern on the chin or chest or upper lip. So there are many women who face this kind of thing. However, this woman, they put her on, I guess, birth control pills to stop, to, to regulate her hormones. And she stopped them in her mid-20s. And when she stopped them, she actually was starting to get 
sort of eyelash size hair growing out of her gums. Now, I sent you the article. Did you look at the mm-hmm. pictures? I did. I'm Are looking you looking at the pictures right now? right now? I am, yeah. It's fascinating because I, it, when you originally gave me, you know, what we were going to talk about and I saw the headline, I expected, because I, I have pretty nice eyelashes, I'll, I, I'll, I'll brag. <laughs> They're I, I expected, Thank you. I, I expected a little bit longer. The, these look like little whiskers. So like if you grew, gents, if you grew your mustache out for about a month, they seem like that length. You know what I mean? Right. Because they're they're very coarse too. Like they're very thick. And so, yeah, they show all these great medical pictures of them tweezing them from in between her teeth, which is just... My biggest question was when I saw this, was what kind of discomfort was she in, if any? Because they don't say anything about that in the article. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, my, my guess, and I'll get into this in a second, is that a, lar- a large amount of the discomfort would be psychological as opposed mm. to physical. I mean, mm. if you all of a sudden wake up and you've got hair growing out of your gums, you, you realize <laughs> right. that things aren't normal. So they're calling this uh, gingival hirsutism. Gingival, of course, being relating to the gums and hirsutism right. being hairiness. So gingival hirsutism. And there have not been that many cases of it throughout history. They only have, you know, a minimal number of cases. And this is the first woman that they've ever found a case of it. My question when I saw this was, how is it even possible that she had hair follicles in her gums? That's not where they're supposed to be. Right. You know what? And that kind of goes into that other part of the article, because you know, I was, I was kind of making the joke that this is like a house episode where they were, (laughs) they thought they had it. She was put on, you know, antibiotics or whatever he does in the first third of the the episode. And then you think it's going to be solved and, oh, wait a minute, they're leaving the hospital, but they just collapsed and coughed up blood. (laughs) So it's one of those things where, you know, things got better for her. She went off the medication and when it came back, it came back even worse. And so they were like, maybe it's not that because they would put her on the same treatment and it didn't help. So, you know, I was reading about uh, ectopia is what they call it. So the displacement of tissue or organs within the body. So then all of a sudden you start to think about, okay, so the hair follicles or parts of, you know, something inside of her shifted, I guess, maybe lower than it should have, or certainly more internally than it should have, um, where all of a sudden these hair follicles were there. Yeah, that's what they're trying to figure out. They're, they're trying to come up with some sort of diagnosis as to what's happening. Uh, I like I don't know how they can't see it. Like, can they not do some sort of non-invasive scan of her head and of her gums mm. and sort of see if there are hair follicles there? I, 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 I can't imagine why they wouldn't. Because that's the problem. If somebody has PCOS, if somebody has, you know, an excessive amount of hair that they do not want, mm-hmm. uh, most of the time it's going to be in a place where most of us have hair follicles, like a, like mm-hmm. a woman growing a mustache or something like that. That makes right. sense because we know that we have those on our face. But in your gums? Obviously, we're not trying to mock this person because we, we've already talked about we're not sure what she's gone through. And even if it is psychological, that's obviously horrible. But to me, it was almost reminiscent of the people in old school circuses or yeah, the bearded lady. Yes, exactly. Where, you know, and we even have them, the case of like the wolf boy, quote unquote, in, in other countries, or, you know, it could be in North America, but it was just, yeah, some of these interesting things where all of a sudden you go, okay, so this is within our genetic makeup. There's something, there's a part of me that really thinks there might be a lot of people suffering with this that we don't know about because maybe the hair is just fall out or maybe they just pluck them or maybe they just think something's stuck in their teeth. You That's know, true like too, actually. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, hey, look, you, you save money on floss, I guess. 
at the end of the day. <laughs> Very true. Uh, no, I came across a study that, that someone did they, that they were looking at women with PICOS um, mm-hmm. to see whether or not there was a prevalence of anxiety and depression. And they did find Ooh. there was a significantly higher percentage of anxiety and depression with people, especially associated with the hirsutism, because there's a number of symptoms. The main ones are menstrual abnormality, obesity, acne, hirsutism, alopecia is another one, interestingly mm-hmm. enough. One of them is that you grow too much hair and one of them is that you don't have any hair whatsoever. Um, And they did find that this was not unsurprisingly leading to a lot of people being depressed because when you think about it, um, this is going to lead to a tremendous amount of anxiety in a culture that values uh, body image, that especially Mm -hmm. when it comes to women, uh, the battle against hair. I came across a lovely woman, a blogger, who uploaded photographs of the day-to-day realities of living with Picos, of her actually shaving, like shaving her face. Uh, And she was sort of saying, hi, my name's Tina, and I have polycystic ovary symptom. Uh, and, you know, as well as depression, anxiety, all of the rest of this, a lot of women, in, including myself, have to deal with facial hair and it can make you feel unfeminine. And so what she did was she uploaded pictures of herself shaving her face like a man saying, whatever, if you don't like this, too bad for you. And it's really quite lovely that she that she did this. I can only imagine somewhat the antithesis where, you know, as a grown man, it did take me about six years to grow a beard that I'm happy with. So. <laughs> Not quite at the same level, but uh, yeah, I can understand that. That would be tough. Have you ever heard of uncombable hair syndrome? No. Hold on. That, see, now I'm a hair guy, so this is going to be fascinating. I love my hair. So This is yet another really <laughs> peculiar and odd syndrome. Um, the, this particular one is about this girl from Australia. It's, I, I love the name of it, uncombable hair syndrome. It's like they're, <laughs> they're, they're not trying to, you know, mask it like, no, and more uncombable hair term. syndrome is just essentially what happens is the hair grows out of your head and cannot be combed down. And when you try to comb it down, uh, it actually snaps. It's so brittle that it mm. snaps right off. So you walk around most of the time looking like you put your finger in a socket. I'm looking at the picture and she's adorable. She's she is absolutely so, adorable. Celeste so Calvergian, uh, and her, her mom is posting pictures of her. And uh, I love the, the headline of this article, girl with uncombable hair syndrome rocks her rare hair condition with style. <laughs> it, well, it, okay. it, it is odd when you think about conditions that impact our day-to-day lives that are not life-threatening, but that mm-hmm. are, you know, like something like alopecia or something like these, where they're still going to have an impact on our lives. Right. Uh, but not necessarily because like, you know, this, this girl with the uncombable hair syndrome, that's not going to cause her any physical uh, distress. I don't imagine, right. but uh, in terms of psychological distress, I would imagine it would be significant. Sorry. I just read a quote that said, your daughter looks like doc Brown, <laughs> which I mean, let's put it this way. It is a style. I mean, I hope she comes to own it. I hope she does own the Doc Brown or Albert Einstein or whatever you want to call it, because she is absolutely adorable. You know, again, as a guy who loves his hair and loves hair product, I question uh, a little gel. Can't that tame it or something? You know, Apparently like not. she was really right off. crazy. Okay. You, you, you have a choice. Mm-hmm. You either have uncombable hair syndrome or gingival hirsutism. <laughs> which which do you pick? I would go with the uncombable hair syndrome. You as can... much as I love my my very stylish very stylish hair, um, the hairs in the gums, I find that would just yeah, that would be much more disturbing. I find you would also be walking around always feeling like you have something in your teeth. You know, that exactly. Feeling, that That's a like really something. uncomfortable feeling. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Doc Brown, it is. <laughs> we're we're, yes. we're, all, we're all picking Doc Brown. 
And that'll do it for today. Michael Wynn Johnson, thank you so much for joining us. You got any socials you want to throw out for us? Oh, please. Yeah. Follow me on Twitter at Real School, R-E-E-L School. That's my YouTube channel or the Vocal Cues podcast. So Vocal Q-S. I, I, I like puns. I was an English teacher. You know, what can I say? <laughs> sure. uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, find my YouTube channel and uh, you can also find that great podcast where uh, I talked about interviewing george newman not sure newburn maybe not newman oh gee george the curse newman. the curse strikes again people are forgetting his name <laughs> damn it there it is newman yes but george newman. newburn my apologies once again to george <laughs> all right thanks for joining us my friend thank you for having me what's the most interesting thing you've seen on the internet this week fact article something else we want it email us at three interesting things at gmail.com follow our instagram at three that's the number three interesting things or tweet it to us at three interesting you'll get a shout out on the show 